Welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakchai Bankard, and I'm here with my friend and AMC All-Star, the champion <laughs> of movie going, Greg Cass. Hey, Greg, how's it going? Hey, so good. Uh, yes, I try so hard to uh, really get the most out of my AMC Stubbs membership. And, you know, if the whole chain goes down, it's not my fault. I'm keeping it up. So. <laughs> you're, you're the one person that can point to your your headshot <laughs> is in there like quarterly report being like this guy. This, this guy in suburban Boston is just nailing it. So, yes, <laughs> I, I go see something even if there's nothing good to see. And, and we shouldn't talk about those movies tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, we are here to talk about air. Uh, hence, hence my my very lukewarm uh, basketball reference. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the air is the new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon sports docudrama, which is basically another way of saying based on a true story. Um, and it just came out in theaters this weekend. Uh, but before we shoot that layup, did I do that right? Uh, let's do a quick movie news check-in. Greg's shaking his head. He's like, we don't know anything about basketball. No, I'm, saying, but- I'm saying I don't know. <laughs> if you're wrong, I'm not the one to ask. So <laughs> That's true. I, I did have to Google layup just to make sure that was like, I'm like, I think that's a technical term for a shot. I just want to make sure that that's not, no one's going to at me. But anyway, so yeah, we're going to do a quick movie news check-in. And actually, there's some big news. Uh, so, you know, both of us have been glued over the weekend to Star Wars Celebration, but not everyone does that. So, um, <laughs> Greg, could you talk about the big movie news coming out of that uh, convention and what you think about it? Uh, I mean, just the fact that there is movie news is, frankly, surprising in Star Wars these days because it's been, you know... So long in the modern sense. Yes, we are kids who waited between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace and then three years in between all those. So so we shouldn't be that upset. But it's been since 2019 with many, many projects rumored, but nothing ever coming to fruition. And boy, did they come through with three new projects that are all really exciting in their own way. Um, probably the simplest one, even if it is not the most exciting, but it may be to start with the Dave Filoni doing a kind of Avengers style capper to the, the shows that are currently airing or are about to air on Disney plus is really interesting. And to me that says they believe in what they've created or what the plan is a lot and want to put it in theaters. Cause last time they put a star Wars TV show in movie theaters, it didn't work out so well with the clone wars premiere uh, a long time ago now. Uh, so I imagine that one got you very excited being a Grogu fan as you are. Yes. Yes, for sure. And, uh, and you know, and Dave Filoni really coming cause he started out in animation made the move to live action television and now is going to movies. This is a huge step for him. And so I'm really excited for him to get the opportunity. Also, I feel like the MCU style event crossover movie is an indicator that they've at least tried to plot out mm. how all of the series will come together. And so that's really exciting. Cause that, that means that makes me more confident that the shows will sort of like resolve and kind of connect in interesting ways as opposed to just kind of being their own thing. So yeah, so I'd say that's big. The second biggest headline though was that Daisy Ridley returning as Ray Skywalker. I know. Yeah. It was, it was insane. <laughs> I was not expecting this at all. I mean, I, I did see there was a period, maybe a month, two months ago, where she posted um a picture from inside some Lucasfilm offices and everybody freaked out. And then she's like, JK guys, I was just seeing some old friends for lunch. And it 
totally worked on me. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you know, they make friends with people who aren't just castmates, the the production people. So, you know, the fact that we're going to move beyond Rise of Skywalker emotionally and literally, I think is really important. And I do think that the... I mean, you just said it. The fact they didn't plan during the sequel trilogy, whether you love the sequel trilogy or hate the sequel trilogy, the lack of planning is the biggest downside there. So I think they know that. And that's what you're seeing applied to the Filoni film. Um, and this just means they're not afraid to to keep going. And they're not going to let that last movie be a taint on the legacy of these fantastic characters. And, you know, seeing the pictures at a celebration and still how many, especially little girls are dressed as Ray. It's like, yeah, they deserve more with Ray. And we deserve to learn more about her and see where her story goes. For sure. And the showrunner from Ms. Marvel, I believe, is the director for that, right? Yes, that's Which very exciting, exciting too. Uh, great to have a female director on a film in uh, in the Star Wars universe. We've gotten a lot of really talented uh, female directors in the shows now um, since uh, the last couple of years, but but it's great to to go that way. Um, what do you think? My opinion is Boyega should sign on, but I will totally respect him if he declines to, um, because I think he's been public about you know. It, it was a hard journey for him. And so what do you think? Do you think he will? Do you think he won't? I mean, I think he will just because I assume Disney will offer him enough money so that he will. Mm. That's the cynical take. The less cynical take is I feel like if they give him the right story, because his problem largely has been one about representation and the storytelling and, and how his character sort of like came and went. And so I feel like if they came back with a a pitch to him, that sort of is like, here's how we can showcase you uh, mm. in a way that you really wanted and that you're happy with that. Then I think he would come back. I think, I think he would, I think it's just, if they there's a way that they can make it right uh, yeah. and, and, and have it work out. So I think that's good. Um, and then the third one is, you know, in terms of movie, movie lovers, James Mangold, uh, director of Logan and the upcoming uh, Indiana Jones movie is going to be directing um, sort of out of the timeline like way, mm. way, way in the past um, movie. So that that's also really exciting because that the, the, that one will surely have the biggest sandbox to play in. I think uh, the initial conversation you and I had was, man, Indiana Jones must be good if they offered him a Star Wars movie so quick and, and one that's so different. Um, you know, I think... Star Wars fans are sometimes not great about seeing things outside of genre films, but, um, you know, Ford versus Ferrari was really fun. Uh, that's not to diminish uh, Logan, which was awesome, too, in a genre film. So um, Mangold is a really talented uh, filmmaker, and to attract his talent 25,000 years before the events of Star Wars A New Hope, I don't even know what we're looking at. He's He said biblical epic what does that even mean? Are there spaceships? Are there robots? What does it mean when Star Wars doesn't have those things? I mean, it it could be really wild and really strange and different. And, um, you know, I, I think we both have the philosophy swing big, like make it mm. really weird and different and either fail hard or just knock it out of the park. But sure. I, I hope that's what he goes for. It's just the, the googly eyed rocks from everything everywhere. one learns the force eventually yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so the only other big movie news that or sort of in the news thing i can think of is that a film i know you're excited for asteroid city the new west anderson film uh, just Mm. got added to the uh, Cannes film festival lineup so that's really exciting 
that that'll have a splashy premiere. Yeah. And I think you recorded your last episode after you saw the poster, but not the trailer. Um, I thought the trailer was lots and lots of fun and is worth a a Google if people haven't seen it. Um, You know, I think after Grand Budapest Hotel, keeping one eye always on the Oscar race, um, there was this thinking that Wes Anderson might come back with something and be a Best Picture winner instead of just a Best Picture nominee. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think from this one trailer, this feels like it. It feels like he's going stranger, right? And and Mm. different and quirkier. And, um, you know, I'm somebody, I think I liked French Dispatch way more than most people. Um, I think uh, it deserved a little more love than it got. I think it got a screenplay nomination, if I recall correctly, or maybe nothing. I don't even know. Very, very little. It had it had at least one nomination. I think the issue was that it it didn't win anything on Oscar night, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and and you know it was kind of a a niche product, and this looks niche to a totally different niche, other than the Wes Anderson niche. Uh, just to say niche a few more times, I think there's a chance it just is a little too quirky and a little too specific. But um, there's some hints at some family drama, some Tom Hanks, Jason Schwartzman kind of trying to find their way. Um, and that's that's Oscar bait, right? I mean, everything everywhere, I think, snuck in there because it was such a traditional family movie. So maybe this could do the same. Yeah, I think a, a lot of podcasters uh, that I listen to are calling for Jeffrey Wright to, mm. to finally get a nomination. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, based on the trailer, I don't know if his part is big enough in the movie to, to do that. Yeah. But- you never know. Oh, he was my favorite part of French Dispatch, his yeah. segment and the way he acted that. he, I would not have guessed he'd be so good at the Wes Anderson style. Just I should have because he's good at everything. But yeah, it would be really great to see him rewarded. All right. Do we have anything else? Any other news? Uh, I know we both uh, enjoyed the Mario movie recently with our kids and just the box office domination of that film is going to make it a big uh you know, uh, presence in the weeks and months to come. Uh, I will say the most exciting part to me was that it had an Into the Spider-Verse trailer attached to it, which was a new trailer, I think debuted about a week beforehand. Um, My crowd did not know what to do with the Barbie trailer, which was also attached to Mario. Um, But I think, you know, looking long-term towards the Oscars, I think um, Spider-Verse is almost a guarantee for an animation nomination in case, uh, unless it's just somehow completely terrible, which it doesn't look like. Um, I think if it's like the best end, if it's, if it's the strongest version of that film, I think, you know, maybe could it sneak into the best picture 10, um, you know, if it's as good as the first one, but maybe with a little more heart, I think there's a, a chance mm, at that. Yeah. Especially yeah. if it's a monster hit. Barbie, I don't know. The latest, latest trailer made me think maybe this doesn't belong in the Oscar race conversation. Not not to diminish it. Looks like it could be super fun, but I'm not sure that's going to be something Academy voters go for. <laughs> yeah, it looked to me a lot more like a comedy rather than sort of a more introspective look at Barbie's cultural significance, which I feel like when I heard that Greta Gerwig was doing a Barbie movie, that's sort of where my mind went in terms of the type of movie. Mm. movie. But trailers, as we're going to talk about with air, I feel like trailers can be <laughs> deceiving. So yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still, I'm still waiting. That's a, that's a wait and see, but it definitely got people excited, got the internet excited. I feel like the, their marketing campaign again, to get to try to slowly transition into air 
their marketing campaign with the this Barbie is a or this Barbie likes. Yeah, yeah. Those, that's, that's plastered over the internet right now. Everybody's doing their own version of those. And so I feel like from a, at least from a cultural content, consciousness perspective, it's definitely making its way. Um, yeah. And do you know who I think that should concern is Oppenheimer uh, and mm. Nolan? Because those premiere the same day. Same and day. I completely agree with what you said. And there's no way Barbie doesn't win the box office because the tweens and teens are not going to Oppenheimer, especially if I assume it'll clock in at like three hours knowing Christopher Nolan. So yeah, are you... No, are you Maybe we can close the conversation. Are you, uh, what are, what's your Friday night that weekend in July? Are you going first to Barbie or first to Oppenheimer? Or is it double feature night? <laughs> that, w- that would be the, that's the thing. Is that that's the, probably one of the weirdest double features I can think of. Uh, and then you, you surely would have to have Barbie be a chaser for Oppenheimer, right? Because it's like to make, to lift your spirits after uh, yeah. learning about everything that's really depressing. So, I mean, the, the Oppenheimer trailer, it looks good. I don't know. Mm. I feel like, and I like Christopher Nolan a lot. So, and I, so I feel like that's probably where my money's at right now, but Barbie does look super fun. (laughs) Especially the, um, uh, Simu Liu and, uh, and, uh, is it Ryan Gosling? Just, I'm, I'm here for their antagonism. That was my favorite part (laughs) of the trailer. Nice. All right. So we are going to start talking about air and just in case you're wondering, you know, is this, is this going to be a spoilery conversation? We're going to have a spoiler-free discussion first, sort of geared toward folks who haven't seen the film yet. It just came out. And so we're going to really try to focus on, you know, who should be who, who should be seeing this? Who's going to like this movie? What did we think about it? Our sort of general impressions. And then we will very clearly announce when we're going to go into spoiler mode and have a more in-depth discussion of the film. Though I, I would say that this is based on a true story. So spoilers, <laughs> I feel like, are much less of a concern than with some other films. But, but nonetheless... That's sort of what our, our setup is going to be. So you ready to get started, Greg? I am. I, I do think it's very funny. It's like, oh, d- will they sign Michael Jordan to create Air Jordans? We better not reveal till till spoilers. But yes, completely agree to the structure, agree to the format. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what was your, we'll start with the short take, which I'm, I'm really embarrassed that it took me this long to realize that that could be a segment on the show, considering we're the long take. But <laughs> what was your general impression of the film? Uh, this to me is kind of a solid by the books, uh, one of these stories, you know, I think the likening it to a, um, like a music biopic is, is, uh, fair and yet unfair because you take away a lot of the cool needle drops and performance aspects of a a music biopic. But in terms of a docudrama format, you know, this had a lot of fun. And I think there were definitely moments where I thought the performers elevated it beyond the basic plot level of the story. Um, what was what was your short take? And then maybe I can tell you which performances I liked. So Ooh, yeah, sure. Um, I had a great time with this movie. I would I would sort of call this movie comfort food. I'm sort of with you, where you know it's not innovating at all within the type of movie it is. It is funnier than I think usually the type of movie this is is. Mm. But in general, it's sort of like solid performances from actors we like, and an interesting true story that it's based on. And I, you know, I just thought it, I thought it, the screenplay actually was what took me by the surprise the most. I actually thought Mm. the writing was better than I would have expected or better than it needed to be. um, Because I think they're, they're selling the story 
purely based on the premise, right? Like, do you care about Michael Jordan, the greatest athlete of all time? Well, hear about how <laughs> he sold his shoe, right? Um, there's a, I can't remember her name right now, but there's a um, film cricket critic who made the joke. This is basically just, we bought a shoe instead of we bought a zoo, <laughs> which I thought was really funny, but, but yeah, in That's general, great. good, great time. It's not like a cinematic achievement of it by any means, but I think it's, I, I really liked it. <laughs> uh and i i think in terms of performances it's being marketed as best i can tell and i'm not as present on the internet as i once was as like hey you remember ben affleck and matt damon they're back together at last uh and it's funny to me because they they do have some great scenes not gonna deny that but i didn't care nearly as much about them as i did some of the other characters on the periphery um uh so tops on my list is viola davis but that's like yes hand her the ball and she will shoot the the three-pointer yes basketball analogy there uh, we go. So, so there's no surprise there like of course viola davis is great it goes without saying uh but i did say it um and so the two other surprises to me were jason bateman who you know i'd gotten accustomed to uh on his podcast as kind of like goofy fun guy and it's like oh no he's he's still got his acting chops um and my other one is actually chris tucker which i think we are about the same age and it's it's like, where's Chris Tucker been? He was such a big part of, you know, the early 2000s, I would I would assume with the Rush Hour franchise. And um, I always think of Fifth Element for him um, and a, a few <laughs> other breakout roles. And, you know, he doesn't have the biggest plot, the p- biggest part here. But I was like, oh, he's charming. Like, he's still exactly who he would be. You know, like all of us, he's a little a little older, a little bigger, but, you know, he's still uh, as good as he ever was and, and does really well with the kind of limited amount of screen time he gets. I was so happy to see him and uh, for, the, for the very reasons that you just said. And I did also wonder, like, wait a minute, I haven't seen him in a movie in forever. Uh, but he, I would actually say that he was a little bit more toned down than in, in past mm. roles. He wasn't as, I mean, he def, his, his character definitely has an energy, like a, he's very energetic, but I feel like compared to like his character in Rush Hour or something like that, he's not, not as like hyperactive, yeah, um, yeah. which I really, which, which fits the movie. I feel like, and, and it was just really nice to see. And I was just like, put him in more movies. I love him. He's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally with you, with you on that one. The, in terms of the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon factor, I mean, I'm someone who grew up on Google hunting, right? You and I have both <laughs> spent a lot. I'm, I'm from the, the Boston area. You're from New Hampshire. Like we've both spent a lot of time in, in New England. And so I feel like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have kind of like a special um, place in, in pop culture for, for folks like us. Uh, and, you know, I, my high school friends and I used to go around when we'd greet each other, we'd be like, you suspect. Right. So like, <laughs> so like, so seeing them back together, I, the prospect of that really is mostly what drew me into this movie. But I will say that like, they actually, it's, it's not a two hander. I think I assumed mm. that it would be a two hander. And for those of you listening, that just means like two, two lead characters kind of sharing the, the, the spotlight in the movie, but it's definitely Matt Damon's movie. And Ben Affleck is just this weird character, on the side. <laughs> <laughs> which honestly is great. Like in my, and then, you know, we probably should, wrap up the short take take section to move on to kind of like who who should be watching this movie but the last thing i'll say is that the the sight of ben affleck wandering around in hot pink and burgundy spandex (laughs) with like running shorts over them and huge sunglasses and crazy 80s hair 
honestly is worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> it's just that I just chuckled every time he was on the screen and it was amazing. And they, they make sure to clarify in case you think they're being over the top. You do get some shots at the end where they're like, nope, here's a photograph of the real guy and his real car. And you absolutely, uh, you know, uh, they they didn't have to make it up, in other words. So, so yes, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, um, to, to use the parlance of the Boston area, we like Dem Apples. And uh, it, it is fun to see them together. What's so funny about the discourse on this is, like, did people not see The Last Duel? I guess I guess that's the narrative of that film. It's like they were just reunited and together and uh, in a film two years ago. Uh, so it was, it was funny how that uh, has been erased from our cinematic memory. True, so, but it's, yeah. it's not, I can sort of see it. Well, first of all, nobody saw that movie. <laughs> um, I think it's probably the real thing, but I think in that movie they're antagonists, right? Like they're not mm. buds, or like they're not like frenemies. Like here they're sort of frenemies, friends, or sometimes frenemies, where they're like bickering and arguing. And I feel like in a way that is very reminiscent of their characters in Goodwill Hunting. Um, yeah. you know, obviously they're very different characters, but in terms of the dynamic and the rapport between them, whereas, whereas in Last Duel, it's sort of like they're all medievaled up and. And it's just, I feel like I can see how people aren't going to sort of relate that to this. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, they're back. <laughs> they're back <laughs> and together again. Uh, and and, and, and I will say there are rumors here around town right now. They are both in town shooting something else um, with Casey Affleck as well. So I have not looked up exactly what that project is, if it's been announced or not. But I think, you know, in his actually in his smartless interview with Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck said like he is just going to make movies with the people he loves now. And I think it's it's clear they'll keep doing stuff together. Um, because they're having fun. So I, I think that's great. And I'm excited to see more of them together. All right. So the the next section I have for us to talk about uh, is who will who should we recommend this movie to? So I'm calling this, you know, as a as a segment, the recommendation algorithm. So pretend mm. we're your Netflix like you, because I really believe that there's so much content for people to consume now that everyone has to make choices in terms of what they like. You know, not everything is for everyone. And that's OK. So, you know, who is Air for, Greg? Who do you mm. think? Uh, I think the Netflix category this would be in would be uh, unbelievable true story dramedy. Mm. <laughs> uh, because it does have some nice mixture of tone at times. It's it's mostly in the comedic kind of area. It's, it's certainly not taking itself too seriously. But it's kind of just enough there that I wouldn't say it's a pure comedy. Um, I think... Uh, speaking as somebody with no interest in basketball, as all the basketball references have so far proven, um, you know, I, I think it still is entertaining. You don't have to be a sports fan. Michael Jordan is clearly famous enough that you have the knowledge of him just by him existing in the world. Um, so uh, I would say, yeah, check this out if, you know, you're interested in learning about this kind of neat story. And um, if you like any of the performers we listed, uh, I think that should push it up in your queue a little bit because they they all are giving performances worth seeing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Chris Tucker. We, we, we did mention everyone, Jason Bateman, Viola Davis. I can't remember the actor's name who plays the shoe designer, but he was really great, too. <laughs> He's I fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and and I would also say to, to echo what you said, it's sort of like a square rectangle thing where it's like, if you are really into basketball and you love Michael Jordan, you should definitely see this movie. But mm. if you are like, 
us and are struggling to come up with basketball metaphors, <laughs> <laughs> um, then then I think like you should also consider seeing this movie. Like it's like because it's not a sports movie. I want to be clear about that. If you if you don't know much about this movie and you have you, you know you haven't seen the trailer or something like that. It's not a sports movie in the sense of like, there's no basketball team that we're like rooting for it. And it's like, mm. will they win or won't they win? It's not a sports movie in that sense. It's cl- much closer to Moneyball than in a league of their own, if that makes sense, right? To use two yeah. baseball movies to compare Perfect. to a basketball movie. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I'd say if you like Moneyball and if you like anything that's sort of like behind the scenes, how did they do this? Uh, especially with sort of a corporate tinge, uh, then, then this is, I think I heard, I can't remember which, podcast it was i was listening to but somebody compared it to the social network and that it's actually Mm. closer to the social network than like a sports movie yeah and i think that's that's an apt comparison it's it's definitely more about the thing being created and the workings behind the scene the wheeling and dealing i know you just watched and maybe some other people have checked out um tetris uh they are very much of the same ilk for a lot of ways but if you like a movie like that um i would definitely say air is uh, superior to that and, and more fun uh for it so yeah tetris very similar where it's like you know charming entrepreneur bets it all <laughs> to like win big for a comp- for for capitalism <laughs> in, like, in the 80s yes in the 80s yeah yeah that's the thing it's like the soundtracks have i don't know i don't know if any songs are actually overlapping but the soundtracks are very similar where it's like a yeah. bunch of college students are throwing an 80s party and this is their playlist that's essentially <laughs> the music for both of these movies um, all the all the greatest hits, and in fact, like I think I I heard that there actually is no score for Air, which I don't even think I realized when I was watching it. It's oh, just it's just eighties track after eighties track. And <laughs> like, because if you go to I went to Spotify, and the soundtrack list is like way bigger than I thought. It's like twenty songs or something like that wow. that are all like pop hits from the eighties. And I was like, I don't remember that being in the movie. So I bet it's one of those things where it's like they just take little snippets and it to get them from scene to scene, and then they okay. don't really score. Almost like which, a sitcom or something, yeah. And the other, so the other thing is that this film is by Amazon, and so it will presumably end up on Amazon Prime. They haven't actually said how long the theatrical window is. My bet is that they're just going to wait, sort of like Top Gun. They're going to wait and see how well it does and for how, like how how much they can milk the theatrical mm. exclusivity and make money off that and that before they bring it to prime. Um, but the reports were saying, cause I think there are a bunch of news outlets that were quoting investor call or something like that. And they said they're directionally looking at 45 days. So that would put us mm. May 20th. So it's not that far from now. Mm. And so my question to you, I know you and I both love the theatrical experience. You are committed to it way more than I am, but we both <laughs> would, you know, we would on average be more likely to tell people to go to a theater but if somebody is like not really able to, or that like going to the theater is not really a thing, uh, uh, is this something that would, they should be making that trip? Like if they only go like once one to one movie in the theater a month or something, is this worth going now or can they wait until it's on Prime Video? Well, it's really funny because we're not in blockbuster season yet or not supposed to be, but there is actually a really, it's been a strong month. Um, and all things that are worth seeing, even if they're not flawless. And I would go back to Creed 3, Scream 6, Dungeons and Dragons, John Wick 4, um, Air, and and now Mario. Like, all of these are worth seeing. Um, so if, if you were standing there at the multiplex and seeing all those on the signs, would I say absolutely use your one movie this month on Air? I don't think so. I don't think a lot will be lost in the at-home experience, whereas... 
some of those other ones absolutely will be way better with a crowd and on a really big screen and all that. Um, my, I, I went to a preview screening of this um, and it was a like half full theater and it was fun. And there were lots of jokes and, you know, it was here in Cambridge. Um, so there were kind of lots of, there's actually a, a really specific Cambridge shout out late in the movie. So it was like, you know, the crowd got into those moments, but I don't know if, it really would make a difference if I was at home watching this. Um, no disrespect to the movie. It's still a great watch. It's just, I think I might wait for home. Yeah. I was going to say that, that, you know, there's a lot to like about this movie, mainly the cast and the screenplay as we've kind of already covered, but it's not particularly visually striking in a way that really necessitates, like there's no like splashy visual effects. There's no kind of like, like, you know, beautiful, the, the cinematography is I think on purpose, pretty grounded and kind of mm-hmm. not that not that uh, flashy so i feel like for that reason if you had to choose like if you if you had to choose between this and john wick for example which is gorgeous and like yeah. really needs to be seen i feel like on a on a big screen uh, then yeah i get i i'd say you can you can probably wait this one out but but i i want to say that my so I, I actually saw this yesterday it's easter mm-hmm. sunday i went by myself <laughs> um uh, John dropped me off. Uh, at Hash, hashtag normalize seeing movies alone. There's no yeah, shame just, in it. I go all the time by myself. People need to get over this. But go ahead. I, I, haven't, <laughs> I hadn't done it in a while, and I was like, I missed this. This was great. Um, yeah. I mean, the unfortunate thing is John wanted also wanted to see this movie, but he was very gracious and was like, you know, like you know, you go, I'll take the kids. Mm. Uh, you know, and so shout out to him for making this happen. But because <laughs> of that, the theater I went to was pretty much empty. I was maybe one of seven or eight people in the whole wow. theater. And, but there was still, I could hear people laughing. And Mm. so I would say that like, for me, it was still really nice to kind of like, even though the theater wasn't full and it was like a rowdy crowd or something like that, it, uh, it was still nice to kind of like be laughing communally with a group of people, even if it was really small. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my pitch for like, I had a great time (laughs) seeing this movie (laughs) by myself. And all right. So I think any other non-spoiler thoughts that you want to throw in here, like last, last last comments for for folks who haven't seen the movie yet a lot of 80s shout outs not just music as we noted but like gratuitous shots of coleco vision and (laughs) ghostbusters and things like that so uh so maybe that's the one other piece we didn't cover if you just love the 80s and that's like your happy nostalgia zone i think you'd have a great time and it's not really making fun of the 80s it's celebrating the 80s it's very kind of like yeah like weren't the 80s a great time um which (laughs) presumably they were yeah. so I guess, yeah. so we we weren't born in a time when we can agree or disagree with that really, right we were too yes. little to really weigh in on that part of it um uh but yeah so okay so we're gonna switch to spoiler mode so if you have not seen this film i mean as i mentioned earlier there aren't like major spoilers because it's based on true events but you know if if you don't if you want to go into the movie totally fresh this is now your your opportunity to bow out so i'm gonna i'm gonna count down mm-hmm. from three and if you're still here that's on you so three two one and i feel like i i need to open with a huge spoiler like i did for our john wick review but there there really isn't the uh, how, about, of that. how about you never see michael jordan's face that's probably the biggest oh, choice that people might, might not realize is michael jordan's at the center of this movie you see stock footage of him that we're all familiar with but you never see michael jordan's face and he doesn't really speak or it's minimal if if he does speak so that that's kind of a bold choice but uh yeah, there's not a other spoilers from there. That's true. And I have heard a lot of critics blasting the film for that in terms of like 
you know, the movie's supposed to be about him. He's the most important figure in the movie. Like when we never actually see him, like what's that about? But it, I, if I've read a bunch of interviews that uh, Ben Affleck did during the press tour for the release of this movie, and he explained it as they just, they didn't want to have someone force an actor to do an impersonation of Michael Jordan. Mm. And they didn't, they didn't want the audience. Cause he's basically said that's an impossible thing to get. Like no one was going to accept any actor playing Michael Jordan because he's that yeah. big of an icon, like icon. So, so he was like, you know, if we kind of evoke him, but never actually show an actor trying to be him, that that would be better for the actor. Like he sort of felt bad. He was like, I don't want to have someone get like trashed because mm. you know they're, they're, they can't live up to Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> but then, but then also the idea that, that if they, if they don't try to, then, then also it's kind of like the focus of the movie. I feel like he had a comment that was sort of like, we wanted the, we wanted, we didn't want the, there to be like kind of a power vacuum mm. of him showing up and then the movie, and then it becomes an actual biopic. That's the other thing yeah. is I feel like people keep calling this a biopic and it's not. No. Cause it's not about, I mean, the main character is Sonny Vaccaro. But like nobody know knew who he was before. No one should know who he is before seeing the movie. I feel yeah. Like. Um, and, and so it's not really like one. Per, it's not a film about one person's life. So this is not a biopic about Michael Jordan or about someone who was involved in Michael Jordan's deal with Air Jordan, right? So well, and even for the two of us who again didn't bring a lot of Michael Jordan passion to the the film, it's like we brought enough. So you can leave Michael Jordan blank and then the film really remains about the rest of the characters and, you know, absolutely sunny, but then um, Michael Jordan's mom and, you know, I, I knew nothing about her and I, you know, I think there are naturally some stereotypes about a controlling, particularly mom uh, in, in show business or in, in for somebody who's famous. And um, so I didn't know anything about her going in. And I just thought, again, the strength of the performance, but just she's really good. And, and the way they present the character and write the character is really good. And and I do agree um, with Ben Affleck, I guess, that if Michael Jordan is present in the film, then we lose the focus on her or we lose the focus on Sonny and, and that those characters, it would be a shame. Um, I do think, uh, you know, it's, it's a funny burden of more modern um, docudramas because, you know, in some ways this probably is biased by my age, but like the Bohemian Rhapsody, like I could picture Freddie Mercury in my head, but I haven't seen a lot of like film footage of Freddie Mercury talking just in my life. Whereas Michael Jordan, even as a non-sports fan, I've seen so much footage. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can hire the late, great Chadwick Boseman to be Jackie Robinson. And nobody really knows other than his appearance, whether he's getting it right or wrong, but there would be such a tall order on an actor playing Michael Jordan. And since we don't have Chadwick Boseman to, to fill those big shoes. Oh, that was a terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> then then we, we can't do it. Uh, if we don't have anybody perhaps. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting choice, but but maybe a, a good one in the end. Yeah. Um, so the big question I had about this movie after I saw it, because I, I, as I've said, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting story and one that I hadn't really heard about. But wh- I couldn't decide what is this movie? Is this movie trying to say? Like, does it have a point? <laughs> or is it just kind of like, is its purpose purely to sort of hone in on this cultural moment where it's like, cause I, cause I do see the argument for, cause I, cause I've heard critics sort of saying like, what are the stakes of this movie? Who cares? Like, it's just about a mm. shoe. And I, my response to that would be, no, this is actually about 
a the the a trajectory that are that are, that sports and fashion and marketing and our like commercial culture were on that completely changed because of the events of this movie. So, mm. you know, the the um out of all the critics I think the that I listen to usually Ryan McQuaid from In Session Podcast and Awards Watch, I believe is the other one that he's on. Um, he's the one who's like de- like championing the movie the most. So he seems to be the most positive out of all the critics that I listen to. And his whole thing was like, no, like, you know, sh- the shoes that people wear are co- have been forever changed. Like the way that athletes get compensated and are part of part of the marketing machine is completely changed. Like we, there's so many things we don't have because if we don't get what happens in this movie. So, mm. um, so I think I think if that's the only thing that this movie is doing, I think that's okay. But did, did you, did you feel like there was like messaging that the movie had, or like if it had a point of view on, on the story? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question and um, not to tip my hand too much for the later section, but I think if this is going to be an Oscar movie, to me, the answer to this question is hugely important, right? If this ends up just being a film about Michael Jordan getting signed to create Air Jordans, then it's, it's not going to be Oscar bait, but it, you really lean into those themes that I think are present, but maybe not at the front of everybody's mind. Um, themes about, you know, uh, capitalism and, and you know, work and labor and who deserves compensation and who gets compensated. I think those are its chance at a much larger presence in on Oscar night. Um, and my honest reaction is like, I don't know if they quite got there, right? Like, again, I'm I'm very positive on this film, but the moments that didn't work is when I think they felt like they needed to try to say something. And I'm not sure that message quite came together. Now, what, what you just said, you know, made me think about, you know, the... When I talk to my students, it's it's all about influencer culture and internet fame and all those things. And it it is really quite true that all of that starts here. And if this is going to be the social network, it has to have something to say about our condition now and where mm. we got. And I think in the comparison, social network is so much richer because it makes those connections quite obvious and clear that, yes, a poor, lonely nerd who just desperately wanted to be mean to the girls who turned him down for dates uh, shaped our entire world. And this is not that story. Like, yes, it the themes of, uh, you know, kind of influencer and um, athlete compensation and, um, you know, very, very small bit on kind of... Uh, global marketing and sweatshops uh, and things like that, that, you know, are kind of in the background here. But I think um, it's not trying to be a social issue movie enough in the way that creates that lane for Oscars is my read. On that's, it. Yeah, that's very true. And I feel like everything you just described, like most of it is through the Jason Bateman character, right? Cause there's, mm. and that's the thing I keep scratching my head about because clearly the film wants to include more than just Michael Jordan's awesome. Here's how he got his famous shoe. You know what I mean? Like it, it clearly is trying to, to plant. It's it's trying to plant things in here that are, yeah. that are more elevated than just a sort of like docu, like normal docudrama. But yeah, it's like enough to kind of make me comfortable and it let me like allow me to enjoy the movie. But it's mm. all most of it's concentrating on Jason Baseman's character, right? He's the one who points out, like, you know, I don't like that we manufacture all of our shoes in. He names a couple of countries, right? Or, or like, he, I think that's that's what you're talking about—the illusion yes, sweatshops, yeah. right? Um, 
And he's the one who sort of talks about like, you know, born uh, born in the USA. Like he has this whole thing about, I listened to born, <laughs> born in the USA in my car every morning. And I used to get really pumped up and be like, yeah. But then one day I actually paid attention to the lyrics and it's actually not an anthem, like a patriotic anthem. It's, it's this song about, uh, you know, Vietnam war vet who can't get work or something like that. And I th- like, that's the thing I keep coming back to being like, why is that in there? You know what I mean? Like what, like there has to be a reason that's in there because either like that was the most famous thing that that character in real life ever said, but I feel like it, it, there's, there's enough structural symmetry in the movie because we do have that set up and follow through of the, the Martin Luther King Jr. Speech, right. Where, where the coach that, that Sonny goes to talk to tells the story about how he watched the speech and halfway through Martin Luther King reads the room and realizes the audience is not with him and completely improvises the rest of the speech. And that's essentially the final scene in the movie. Right. Yeah, so I yeah, feel like yeah. there's enough intention intentionality with the screenplay that stuff like that through the Jason, like the, why, like why is the Jason Bateman character in here is sort of my mm. larger question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not only am I not a basketball expert, I'm not a Springsteen expert, but um, you know, I think Born in the USA is kind of famous for exactly this reason. I always hear about it when I get obsessed with uh, cable news during like presidential elections, because there's always usually a Republican candidate who likes to blast Born in the USA as like this party anthem, aren't we so great, this jingoistic rah, rah, rah in their rallies. And then it's like, no, 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 that is not what that is. And, you know, if Springsteen is famous for saying it's being the kind of balladeer of the working class and i think that this song is very much about that that you know there's a way in which we celebrate being born in the usa without looking at the downside of it which is the fact that we are part of this kind of capitalistic machine that's going to take our labor and uh not care that much about the outcomes i I feel like we're going to be called to the house on american activities committee or something like that um so uh it is like it is it's certainly not a socialist song but it is just a reminder that if you're talking about the working class in america then you are very much talking about a group of people who have been exploited and continue to be exploited and to really go Marxian being separated from their labor. Mm. And so later in the film, Viola Davis's character makes this clear talk about like, no, if this is going to work, you have to pay a Michael per shoe, per shoe sold. And the reason is she's like, he's going to keep working for you and he's going to make this profitable. So he deserves to have the fruits of his labor, right? To be reunited essentially with his labor and see the actual benefits instead of that. Um, And to me, that's all really, if, if it has a shot at this Oscar lane, that's the stuff that's going to get it there. And I think what troubles me slightly about that or makes it slightly less, um, pure than maybe I just described it is I think Sonny and uh, Jason Bateman's character, sorry for not remembering his name. um, I think they're being positioned in that kind of working class. We're just guys trying to get this done. And that is a very Hollywood elite version of the working class, right? Like working, working class is not just a day job in an office, right? I mean, Matt Damon gets to travel around the country and watch basketball games for a living. This is not somebody who's suffering. And so um, 
I think there is a way in which, yes, this is a little bit about the American dream, but it really is trying to remind us all that you can't bank on the American dream, that you have to have something more invested there, while at the same time ignoring just vast swaths of who Bruce Springsteen would be trying to lift up. <laughs> right. And and the I'm really glad you brought up Viola Davis's speech because in that speech, on she's on when she's on the phone with um with Sonny, she says something like, big companies aren't thinking about me and she includes Sonny in the she says mm. people like me and you. Right. Or people like my son and people like you. And so yeah. she's grouping Matt Damon in Matt Damon's character, Sonny, in with the, like you said, with the, the, the sort of uh, the, the workers, the underdogs, again, yeah. like the, 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 they David, the David versus the Goliath, right? Like <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're like the little guy compared to the big guys. <laughs> and, and then if you think about earlier in the film, I feel like I don't can't remember what how far earlier, but there's a scene where it's after Jason McGabe Bateman gives him the speech of like, you know, maybe you were a little too cavalier with this, like, you know, people's lives are affected by mm. it. And then there's a, there's a shot of of Sonny looking around the bullpen of his office, and it's sort of showing all the people just going about their daily work. Yeah. But I feel like the point of that is him. That's supposed to signify him realizing, oh the things I risk for this company, the things I'm gambling on, you know, if they don't, if I, if it doesn't work out, all these people are going to be out of a job. Yeah. And so there's that's, this that's idea of like the little, yeah, like the, 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 yeah, the worker who, versus the co- corporation. And so it's super interesting that, that Sonny, the Sonny character gets lumped in with that because <laughs> if you compare this movie, as I think you should to Tetris, right. <laughs> it's like, they're both these like white Americans who are so into their rugged individualism Mm. that they're like, I don't care about the rules. Like, I don't care about (laughs) like, I'm going to risk it all. Like, I don't care if I'm going to mortgage my house and like, without telling my family, I don't care if I'm going to like go strike this deal, go to, go to Dolores Jordan's house, even though it's against the rules. And like, there's this kind of glorification of Mm. that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, in a way that I feel like is not anti-corporate. And so like, I don't, I don't know if both of those things can exist at once. Like, but the movie's trying to have it both ways is maybe what I'm saying. Yeah. I I think that's an accurate read on it. And all of, all of that, I I completely co-sign and, and I'd forgotten about kind of the focus on the people in the office. And then at the end, when there's a big celebration, it's out amongst those people. Right. And it's all of them popping champagne and hugging each other and all that. So it it does help us see that. Um, The one other complication I'll add to the mix is that there's something in all of this also about like, not just that rugged individual entrepreneurship, um, and this is certainly not Anne Rand, but <laughs> you made it out to be for half a second there and it made me laugh. Um, but there's also the fact that like, what does this same big giant corporate system do to actual talent? And Michael Jordan is, of course, the focal point there because he's got a literally once in a lifetime talent and he's going to be just a, an incredible thing. And the film always is winking at the fact that they all are exactly right about how great he's going to be down to like, I think um, Viola Davis says like, uh, he'll win six championship and it cuts to a photo of Michael J- Jordan holding up his six rings and things like that. So um, 
it's it's kind of funny how they they have it that way but what does a corporation do with real talent it exploits it in the case of michael jordan and you have to push back and take it back and then you mentioned the shoe designer who is presented as this kind of like goblin figure who lives in the basement and is completely obsessed with his art but is every is treated like an artist of shoe design in the way that michael jordan is treated as a basketball player and i think it's it's a reminder that yeah, they're going to take whatever they can out of you and they'll lock you in the dungeon and kind of be rude about you and kind of think you're a weirdo, but as long as you're making them money. Um, so so I, I agree with, I think the, the takeaway I'm taking from this piece of the conversation is that it has a lot of elements about this relationship between individuals and corporations and it's not uniting them all in a thesis and if that sounded like a flaw i don't know that it's a flaw because what is capitalism but messy and we're all treated differently in these systems and so why not like have people leave the theater thinking about each of these questions we're thinking about and 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 thereby critiquing the system even if it's not a condemnation of it right and i do think that there is a genuine interpretation of this film that's very optimistic about Mm. capitalism being like here's how you work the system in a way to kind of get ahead in in a way that's very much in line with what we typically associate with the American dream, because like the, I think the story, the film sort of props up the story as being so pivotal in our history because it's like everything like Michael Jordan set the tone for athletes getting compensated for their likeness, for their brand. Like, and the whole point of the movie is like between the three shoe companies he mm. should go with Nike because Nike's the one who's willing to build a shoe line around him. Right. Yeah. Whereas like with the other two companies, he's just another, like he's more of a commodity mm-hmm. relatively. Like he's a commodity for all three of these companies, but like sure. he's relative to like, they're the, they're the nice guys because comparatively, because with, if he signs with them, they're going to treat him like the star that he is. Whereas mm. he's just going to be number three after Larry, was it Larry Bird and, I can't remember who the other guy Magic, Magic Johnson. Johnson? Yeah. yeah, I think. I think yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we remembered Larry Bird because, again, we're from Boston. We're from Boston. We're like, yeah, yeah there's, there's that. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's so, yeah, it's super interesting. And I feel like, but you're right. Like, I think that at the end of the day, this movie's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I, as I, I've said many times, I enjoyed this movie greatly. Um, I will probably watch it again, <laughs> when it, especially when it hits it's hit streaming. It's easy just to have on in my house. Um, mm. But I feel like there is a lot of t- to dig into, and it gives me it gives me just enough to be like, ee, like there's there's thematic threads that I could possibly pull. But you're right, like it doesn't commit to it fully because it's not that yeah. kind of movie. Um, but again, it, but it may, that's what to me that's what makes it more interesting than like Tetris is also great. I had a great time watching Tetris. Um, Taryn Edgerton with the Tom Selleck mustache all day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and I, lo- I like how, you know, I, this is not a review of Tetris, so I guess we shouldn't get it too far into it, but, <laughs> but the, I think it's, it's more elevated. The screenplay is more elevated than Tetris is because of these little bits of like, oh, we could, we could have, have a theme. We could be saying something about this, we yeah. could be, you know, touching on these types of, of issues. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting, well, but, and, well, and my... it's, yeah, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say the last valence on this, just to compare to the modern world, is I'm sure you get the same thing I do, which is I get so many student papers about how we should be paying college athletes. And so the fact that that is still like a very open question in our society, and, you know, there's been some changes in recent years towards that and some unionization and so on, um, that's just the last piece that I think does help that elevation land because it does get you thinking. And, you know, maybe that's why it came out in the middle of March Madness, right? Like to to remind us, like, yeah, when we're talking about all these issues, we are actually talking about how college athletes are still getting their labor taken from them and exploited by universities, two of which pay us very well. Uh, so, you know, well, they pay us OK. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, it's just a reminder that, yeah, these issues still are going on. And while this might have been a great step forward, we still see the, you know, if anything, um, we're all we're all just owned by billionaires now, and which one? Which one are you right. giving? I your mean, money this to? is a movie by Amazon, so I think yeah. like <laughs> jokes on us, I guess. But okay, so I'm really glad that you brought up the NCAA, the college yeah, basketball yeah, yeah. part of this, because I feel like this might get lost in the shuffle for people seeing this movie because there are so many. Here's what they're doing now. Mm. Um, uh, title cards or like text oh you're right yes yes but they do I... have at the very end and i think this is why sunny is the main character of this movie they have mm. a thing that i think the last one maybe is sunny sunny vaccaro went on in 2014 i believe that's the year to testify during trials for the nc against the ncaa that really changed the way that and opened the door for college athletes to be compensated for for their for playing on on college teams and so that really, again, that pushes the movie towards like it's thinking of itself as this like revolutionary story of like mm. athletes taking back, getting like, you know, getting what they're worth. Right. And like and taking back their like you said, taking reconnecting with their labor, getting compensated properly. Um, you know, it, with the Air Jordan case, it's through sort of branding and marketing and they get a piece of piece of it. Right. Which they didn't before Michael Jordan signed this deal. But then looking to college basketball, right? The same guy who struck that deal for Michael Jordan uh, and made that possible, went on to kind of like advocate for the athletes that he worked with so closely at the, at the high, like high school going into college level, like those, those college basketball recruits. So first of all, I wouldn't mind if there's a sequel to this movie. That's that. That's, yeah. That's, that, that sounds how, like how a great movie. That, right? <laughs> um, so Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, if you're listening, which you're not, <laughs> Which you are. Um, you are. Call, yeah. call us and we can work on a screenplay for um, for Sonny Vaccaro takes on the NCAA. So I actually, <laughs> I, I did like a little bit of research on this. There was a really good mm. New York Times piece. And I'll try to put include the link in the, the show notes in the post. Um, but I guess the NCAA, the NCAA was like his enemy for most of his career. Mm. Uh, because they kept accusing him of impropriety and kind of breaking the rules about like athletes getting free stuff from companies apparently he like had them over his head like like you know the the rules about kind of like not mixing the corporate sponsors with the with the athletes um that they that they would have like and not bribing them essentially like he kind of like bumped up against that constantly uh and so they were like you know they were constantly trying to investigate him and indict him for breaking those rules but then he came back with this court case in 2014 um to sort of like get back at them essentially, <laughs> um, and be like, you know what? I've worked with all these college athletes all these years and you're not treating them right. And I think the quote in the article is him saying, Sonny Vaccaro says like the NCAA was the most corrupt organization in the world or something like that. Wow. Like, it really wow. like, again, like I want to see that movie of him. Like I want the legal, the legal drama 
of, of um, him versus the NCAA. The other fun thing from that article is that they apparently his nickname was Sneaker Pimp. <laughs> totally unrelated to what we're talking about, but fun. Yeah. No, I I think, I mean, so much of that sounds like that's the one Aaron Sorkin will write, right? Because he can go to a courtroom and, 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 and make those. But that sounds like a fantastic movie. And, you know, I think, again, uh, I work at very small Division three level universities and colleges in my career. But I will say that this is always on the mind of athletes. And there are so many um, kids who go into college sports thinking this will be their break. And it only happens for the Michael Jordan types, um, which is present in this film, talking about him going from North Carolina to the NBA. And so I think the, all of that is, is yes, a good reminder that this exploitation is still going on and something that, you know, we should be more concerned with when we fill in our brackets and, you know, buy the gear for the schools we like without the players we like getting a dime. So uh, yeah, that I totally forgot about that title card. So I'm glad you reminded me of that. And there, there are a lot of fun ones there at the end. Um, and that's where they do the photo gag of showing you that Ben Affleck's really just dressed like uh, the head of Nike. It's so good. And, and the, the, the bare feet on the table, I was like, that has, oh, yep. to, be, that has to be a gag. That can't be real because I'm like, Oh, I get it. Like it's a shoe company, but he's not wearing shoes. Like, ha ha ha. But then the picture comes up and you're like, Oh, I guess that's just what he was like. That's it. Um, that's him. And I guess Sonny Vaccaro also consulted on the film, which I didn't know oh. until after I was looking stuff up about, about him. And uh, apparently he says, that seeing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon together like was really spooky because it really transported <laughs> him back 40 years. And so they must yeah. be really nailing something about that Phil Knight character, um, nice. which seems crazy because if I were to pick the exaggerated character in that movie, it would be him. But apparently he's just that weird. And yeah. like, um, I, I will not reveal the source of this in case it shouldn't be disclosed, but I was past an anecdote of somebody who had to go to a meeting at the Nike corporate offices, I think in the nineties and they received a memo ahead of time that reminded people not to wear any gear for other sports uh, companies because apparently at some low level meeting or at some meeting, a low level visitor had been like, Oh, I'll wear an Adidas shirt as a gag. And it just freaked Phil Knight out and just totally sent him over the top. And so they were prepared prior to the meeting of like, here, you cannot wear these things and this is how you should act. So I think that's amazing. And, and maybe that means this movie scrubbed him a little, which, mm. um, you know, I think is only natural if, if Sonny was also scrubbed a little, if he consulted on the movie. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm probably more forgiving than I should be of some of that, but I wouldn't say it's hagiography, right? It's certainly not a flattering portrait. It's kind of like, he's a weirdo. We get used to weirdos. So, you know. But he's also hilarious. <laughs> like Ben Affleck yeah. plays him, plays the eccentric CEO figure to a T, I feel like. And like the the, the moment at the end where he's like, where the where after the huge speech, the amazing speech uh, Sonny gives about, we're all going to be forgotten, but you are going to be remembered. And then he's the one who's like, well, I, I think I'm going to be remembered. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's, he's, that, he's that egotistical. And he's like comparing himself to Michael Jordan, uh, which I thought was great. Um, uh, if only he'd played Bruce Wayne in that like register, that would have been an amazing new Bruce Wayne. So uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, what could have been. 
could have been. He, uh, he also spoiled on Smartlist that he shot a scene for the Flash movie. I don't think that's a spoiler. And it's a scene where uh, he ends up coming in contact with the Lasso of Truth. And Ben Affleck said, like, I finally understood Bruce Wayne because of what I had to say with the Lasso of Truth. And if only I could play this part again. <laughs> <laughs> he's done. He's done. But it's very funny actually, to think about. That. I actually really like him as Batman. I think he was <laughs> improperly improperly employed in the movies that he appeared in as Batman. But I actually mm. like it. I think he makes he could make a bad, good Batman um, nice. with the right with the right script. But anyway, um, uh, I feel like I did have a, th- a follow up to what you just said, and now it's gone. But in terms of cuz i think we're talking now about how this film compares to real life like how is it as in terms of a, being a based on a true story movie and the factoid that i will share to kind of get us started with that is or i guess the question i should start with is have you seen uh, the last dance documentary i have not i have heard yeah. it's incredible i respect it but it's what like 6 hours and i, I i'm just not a sports a guy I can go to the theater so many times and see different movies instead of watching The Last Dance. But I've heard by all, you know, metrics, it's just an incredible experience. Yeah, no, same, same. And I had not seen it either. I just kind of like, you know, I didn't, I I had intentions of potentially watching it um, because I had heard it was so good, but, uh, but never got around to it. But I did go back to watch a little bit of one episode. So I believe it was episode five. And I had, this was because I had read this, that a... The screenplay for this movie was inspired by, like, a, a portion of an episode where they mm. talk about Air Jordan in this documentary. And so I went back and watched just that, just that part. Um, it's about probably about 15 to 20 minutes of, I believe it's episode five. It might be four. I should have written it down, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> um, it, it's pretty easy to figure out which one is about Air Jordans. But um, in it, I thought it was super interesting because Sonny Vaccaro is not actually mentioned at all. Wow. <laughs> right. And so I was like, this is juicy. Like, let me think about this more. And uh, basically that's because the person that they're interviewing is David Falk, the agent. And oh, he okay. basically, t- he basically is talking like he's taking it a hundred percent credit for air Jordans, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious because that's actually like a bit in the movie. Um, yeah. And, and so I just thought that was super interesting and that he like he's not in it also. I'm then I started to wonder, right, to go back to the idea of like, does this movie have a point of view? Does it is it trying to say something? I'm wondering if this is like Sonny Vaccaro's that that's why he's the main character, like that because mm. it's like maybe in other things like the Last Dance documentary, he his point of view, his credit hasn't been given. And there's like a weird I feel like there was a news article that I was reading that talked about it had a quote from Phil Knight being like, yeah, like Sonny was involved, but he wasn't like, like it was really trying to downplay his role. And so I thought I was like, whoa, like this is really interesting. So yeah, I don't know. Like, did, did you, did you know any of that backstory? I'm going to guess no, but. I, I didn't know any of that backstory. That's really interesting in the context of the corporate uh, capitalism conversation we've been having, right? That, yes, of course, if there's a million, well, multi-million dollar idea, multi-billion dollar idea, they'd all want to take credit and be the genius for it. But in the context of the film, um, the agent played by Chris Messina, who maybe we haven't mentioned him, and it's a smaller role, but he's really funny in it. It's, it's really good funny. to see him. Um, and uh, he is just presented as just a cutthroat capitalist. And he has a gag, which is like, um, I will 
you know, I'll retire with no friends, but I'll be eating steak every night. And then his kind of end title card is him sitting alone eating a steak and, you know, clearly having reached that level. And so, uh, and then Phil Knight is presented more, you know, he's not quite as cutthroat, but he is the businessman. And it, it's it's less about being a good visionary and inspiring and having talent than it is just being good at business. And so that the film would sideline both of those narratives in favor of a guy who kind of believes in people and believes in the game, Uh, you know, to, to think about another very astute literary reference. It reminds me a lot of um, there's an episode of the office where Michael goes to Ryan's business school and he does a terrible Michael Scott speech and there's nothing. But when they get back to the office is when they, the writers of the office give Michael something pithy to say. And he said, he says, people, people never go out of business. So that's why you, how you manage, right. Is you manage people. And, and, um, it's very much that same mood, right? It's like the person who has some humanity, who believes in people is the guy we want to celebrate and raise up as our hero. Um, and, you know, again, I have no pony in the race of who actually deserves the credit, but I think you're right that if it has a point of view, it's like, no, it has to be sunny. It has to be um, Chris Tucker's character because they believe in people and they care about people within this system, not just making their money and moving on as fast as they can, which is more the agent's mode than anything else. Right. Right. For sure. And, and so the, cause I've heard lots of criticisms about this movie, most of which I'm kind of like, eh, I guess that's fine that you think that, but I don't agree. But the one that has made me pause is, mm. I think it was on Next Best Picture. It might have been in more than one place. But the, the someone asked the question of, why isn't this movie, why isn't this story told from the point of view of Dolores Jordan? Mm. Why isn't Viola Davis the star of this movie? And I was like, she probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it, but I think it again to go back to what I was saying earlier about like giving Sonny more credit or like say if this is like the untold story of his his role in all of this to me that kind of makes sense if 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 uh the creators of this film were coming at it from you know he this is the one guy who who made this all happen but nobody credits him i can sort of see that but at the same time now i'm just imagining what this movie's like if if it's a if it's dolores jordan the dolores dolores jordan show from start to finish but then I mean, maybe that makes it too much like King Richard. That's what I was going to say. It's King Richard again. But, you know, I mean, King Richard, other than the very end of its journey towards an Oscars, is a movie that deserved a lot of praise and told a really interesting story. Now, interestingly, the criticism of King Richard is why is this not about uh, Serena and Venus? And, sure. you know, it, why is it about the dad? But I completely agree that if this were focused on her and and it was her story, that would be really interesting. And again, what journey she went through from raising a small boy who started to have this talent to to becoming essentially as this film pre- presents in any way his business manager mm. that's super compelling and i think we just have to you know you implied it but i think we just have to say that like a studio for horrible reasons is not going to green light a movie about a black woman you know still unfortunately uh whereas if you can put a, a white man in the center of it and cast Matt Damon, they're going to green light that in a hot second. So, you know, I think we always have to be conscious that the industry that we love so much is so terrible in so many ways. And while changes have been made, you know, it's it's really not there yet. But 
you know, there's another sequel. You are pitching the Air Cinematic Universe uh, now, where with the with multiple sequels and spinoffs. But I ex- absolutely would see that again. And you know, it's been very fun to see Viola Davis talk about. It. This is like the best experience she's ever had on a set. She says, and really loved working with Ben Affleck. So yeah, they, she'd sign back on to do yeah. more of her story. Dolores <laughs> would be the HBO series in, the, mm. uh, in this, whereas the the NCAA would be the, the <laughs> sequel to this movie. Um, but so, okay, a couple other fun things about Viola Davis in this movie. One is that her husband, I didn't know this, plays Michael Jordan's dad. That's hey! her real life husband. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's so great. And they're Wonderful. so good at like, you know, they're not in that many scenes together. And, you know, the dad doesn't have that much of a role in this, um, to be yeah. honest. But but like they they do like I believed it. I believe that they were <laughs> and he has a great time. He's like, Oh, here we go. Right. And yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. He's got a, a um, couple good moments. Um, so there's that. And the other thing that I heard, and I can't remember, I guess it must be Michael Jordan when they asked they asked him to kind of give his blessing for this movie, I believe said only if you can get Viola Davis to play my mom. Ah, nice. Isn't that That's amazing? Very cool. like, That's like, very she cool. She was the one name. Otherwise this movie <laughs> doesn't happen. And honestly, I agree. Like, I think this movie doesn't work without her. Right. Like yeah, she's giving uh, yeah. such an amazing performance and it's an, it's a fairly subtle performance. It's not flashy. Like she does like Matt Damon gets the big monologue where he's like screaming yeah like he has yeah. he has the oscar clip right um which we'll get to in a minute but but, <laughs> but viola davis is the one who's like really grounding the film and giving it mm. that sort of like set, like it's it's allowing me to take the film seriously and she does such a good job of going toe to toe with all of these like white executives right and in a yeah. way that's very believable and um, and her phone call, even though it's, again, she's not shouting or anything like that, but her phone call with Sonny at the end where she's like, and I know the value of my son, I know what he's worth. And she's like, not taking no for an answer is just incredible to watch. So mm. I, I really, I, I think that the, without her performance, this movie feels a little more silly than it does. And then, yeah. and then kind of pushes it into like, oh, is this, is this really working? Well, and you think about like, she could really just be limited to a couple scenes like that character could be reduced. Like you can see them editing that movie and doing that. But you're right that so much of the soul of this movie would be lost. And all of those kind of nice resonances we talked about are just weaker without her here and and anchoring the center of the movie. I was thinking about um, just the only behind the scenes thing I, I would add is, you know, there's there's a lot of movies that are created um, because the cast wants to go on vacation together. Um, Adam Sandler, I think that's his whole career now. Like, uh, yeah, Jennifer Aniston and I in Europe, let's make it happen. Um, and Ocean's 12 is always the biggest example of that. Oh, like, true. Yeah. Just wanted to go to Europe. So they, they went and they did that. They want to go to George Clooney's house on Lake Cuomo or whatever. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's funny because this is... Uh, uh, like the inverse of that, where it's like, oh, we got a, a office building outside LA. You can all be home by five thirty, and like we can control it. And and it's funny how I think I've heard a lot of. I don't know if it's a post COVID thing, but I've heard a lot of celebrities saying that. Um, you know, 
Kristen Bell famously signed on to The Good Place because she wanted to be home with her kids. And it's like, yeah, if I can be home every day just driving across L.A., then I'm there and I'll do your show. Um, and I feel like this is becoming a version of that where like you spend some time with good people. You get to bring your husband along. Right. And and then like, yeah, we just make it as easy as possible. We don't want to be out there scaling mountains or doing things like that. So, well, and, and I don't I don't know the filming order, but I assume Viola Davis came off of um, Woman King to this oh right and to imagine that transition is is kind of jarring um so uh and maybe that's a good transition into uh oscars talk which i'll let you do the podcasting duties (laughs) (laughs) sure so we want to end with you know because we're always keeping one eye even though it's absurdly early in the oscar season it's barely begun the we haven't even gotten into like film festivals yet other than south by southwest i feel like it's the only one that's happened post this last year's oscars but we want to you know assess what the Oscars prospects are for for the film that we're reviewing. So, you know, there is some Oscars pedigree mm. for people associated with this film. So Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they won back in 1997 for original screenplay for Good Will Hunting. And um, Ben Affleck, in a very famous Oscar narrative, right, he got snubbed for Best Director in 2012 when he made Argo, but he still won an Oscar because a lot of people say in response to his snub from best director that people then voted for Argo and best picture, which ultimately mm. won. And so he, he ended up winning the day after all. And so, you know, there's, and then Viola Davis, obviously Oscar queen, like she, yeah. <laughs> she can't, can't stop her. She keeps getting nominated um, and, and, and winning. So, so I guess the, with that, there's some, there's some Oscars mojo behind this, but does air as a movie in of itself have any Oscars potential do you think? It's it's a good question because it seems like there's always an early like for lack of a better term, I call it like the first good movie of the year. And it doesn't mean like there's been no good movies, but the first Oscar Beatty movie of the year often gets a lot more buzz. And then Mm. that fades very quickly once we see how crowded the field will be. And yet last year, that movie was everything everywhere. And here we are after it won Best Picture coming out in april i think a little later than this did um this came out just that first weekend in april but so, both of them premiered at south by southwest oh interesting I so mm-hmm. i think they think there's a possibility there i'm gonna say it's gonna have to be a tough road because there's a lot here that's good but i will say nothing kind of grows in memory it would be really easy for this movie to fade away and you know are people really going to show up to the theater multiple times for this? Are people going to see revival screenings in the fall? I don't think so. So I think it would take a week pool for this to make it into the end of the year and to be that memorable. Um, And, you know, I think just because we all like to think about strategy, if they'd done this as like an October release, like Argo, would there be a shot? Would there be, Mm. you know, if you get all those stars out circulating and get them on your award show presenting, I think there'd be a lot of case there. Uh, So I will, that all being said, I will say the two that I would say have the best chance, even if it's minimum, would be, I would vote Viola Davis for uh, Best Supporting Actress and um, Jason Bateman for Best Supporting Actor. Ooh, I like that. I hadn't thought about that one. Just a little residual Ozark riding. he'll be riding the Ozark Emmy high, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably. So I'm assuming. I mean, he's won, I feel like he's won a bunch of things recently. Maybe last year's Emmys. I can't remember now. But um, there's, you know, Ozark has been, staying strong in the in the tv award space and so i feel like if he wins an emmy in the fall i can kind of give him a good campaign push um mm. so, but I had, yeah i hadn't thought about that uh 
I, I generally agree with you. It's so early in the year that it seems like it has potential now to me, but I would, I would start it. It would have to be starting in the middle of the pack Mm. right right now. And then that means it's probably going to get pushed out by a bunch of movies that we're going to see throughout the rest of the year. So I feel like, you know, it, but it's one of those things where I wouldn't be surprised if it snuck in somewhere. So like for me, actually, I also was predicting, you know, it has a shot for Viola and supporting, um, just because like, that seems like such a classic support, like the amount that she's in the film, but then her, the, the power of her performance, like seems like the classic magic formula for supporting actress uh, nomination. But the screenplay actually, I think has kind of mm. a shot because it's got a good narrative behind it. So Alex Convery is an unknown writer. Uh, no. I, I believe this is the only film that he's credited with, but, uh, the story is that, um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck found him on the blacklist, which is like a, like oh. a, like a list. It's not, it doesn't, it, I had to look it up because I heard a podcaster mention this and then I was like, blacklist, like, isn't that mean that you can't <laughs> write <screenplays? laughs> Um, am I remember from the McCarthy era? Like, um, <laughs> but, but it actually is a, um, a list of like unproduced screenplays that are the most popular with producers. So like people who are like buying this is like, here's a hot script that no one's picked up yet. Um, And so they found it that way. And, you know, because they've started their own um, production company, which is called artist equity, I believe um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck um, that they, they wanted to make, they wanted to make sure that Alex Convery had sole writing credits for the screenplay. Mm. Uh, because they wanted to support him, you know, presumably, you know, they remember what it was like when they wrote the screenplay for Google hunting and then got an Oscar. Uh, how <laughs> that was, um, I'm just, I'm totally in projecting that narrative. That's there's, I haven't read anything that confirms that or anything. They haven't said that, but um, you know, I thought that was kind of cool. And so it does have a little bit of a narrative of like this unknown writer that two movie stars have like supported that, you know, and especially if it does well at the box office, which it seems like it's doing okay. Like Super Mario Brothers is crushing it right now, but yeah. that's, that, that's to be expected. Um, the other thing that kind of is a factor, I feel like in terms of award season, and I can't take credit for this. Some other critic pointed this out, but um, it depends on the timing of when it hits streaming. Cause mm. it could easily have a second wind when yeah. it goes to prime and people are like, oh, like, I remember this movie coming out. Let me go watch it. It's so easy to watch now. And then people are get, like, it, it has kind of the, what movie was it from last this year that did that? I guess um, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's sort of what yeah, happened, that, yeah. right? Because it, was well, like, it wasn't an Oscar movie, but The Menu. The Menu had this yeah. incredible popularity once it left. the. It had like a fine theater run. And then it was one of the top movies on Letterboxd for like two months because yeah. of how many people were streaming it. So... Yeah, I think that is the piece that people need to figure out now. And when you said that this movie starts at the middle of the pack, I think that's right. And last year was an example of maybe if everything everywhere might have been a little higher than the middle of the pack, but it was like nothing came out that could get above it. Um, You know, some of us liked Babylon, but it was kind of softly received. And there were a bunch of them like that. Women talking, it's like, that's the one, just wait for it. And then they screwed up the rollout. And so... At the moment, it's really hard to say this is going to be there because there are so many big name directors and films that are on the horizon for the fall, especially. But 
it, there's a world where all of those underperform or don't quite come together. And, you know, would I want to bet against, you know, Martin Scorsese and all these other directors no. with big releases? But there's a world where that all comes in a little soft. And this could be like, you know, that was actually better than its premise. And yeah. if all those other ones are worse than their premise, I think I think there is still a spot potentially, but um, it's going to take a lot of failure to keep it in the conversation. True, true. But at the same time, if it has the right campaign, if Ben Affleck and Matt Damon get on the campaign trail and charm it up, yeah. and as, as we're saying, because I think the more crucial piece, the make or break piece is, can they spin the, the, the movie as a feel good kind of like political message because the mm. one of the number one things that propels a movie to the front of the pack is is it something that people can feel good voting for from a social political perspective so yep. if they can get the story out there that this and sort of like essentially take our conversation and make it a PR <laughs> campaign and they are listening so they will do that yep right, of course yeah <laughs> like they got them on speed dial so like that'll be easy um but i feel like if the kid hit it would have to be a perfect storm yeah. But I feel like it is possible. Um, but again, it's early in the year. We don't have much to compare it to. Well, uh, look, uh, look, kid, uh, when I wrap it up here, I'm running down to Dunkies, And uh, Ben Affleck is often at my local Dunkin' Donuts. So uh, it may just be that I'll put in a good word that we figured out the campaign and, and just let him know. So <laughs> check. We've done it. I do feel like Ben Affleck's performance is Phil Knight in this movie does have the Dunkin' Donuts meme energy to it. <laughs> like he does kind of the kind of like, oh, like, okay, fine. I guess I'll flop on this couch. Like, like he has yeah. this sort of like dejected. Um, is it, is he the one that's in the hello? Yeah. It's him. That's the, um, the Simon Garfunkel song. Like, yeah. Hello, yeah. Silence. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he has a lot of moments like that in this movie and I'm, I'm here for it. Um, yeah. All right. So I feel like we did it. Wonderful. We covered, we covered anything. Where are there any final thoughts or last things? Anything just, about this movie that we didn't cover? I I think I'll just say that I leave this conversation feeling a little more upbeat about it. Like I think you know part of the fun of going and seeing a movie by yourself or with somebody else is getting to unpack it later. And I always find that when a movie proves itself to be worthy of a conversation, then it goes up a little bit in my esteem. And you know, I think I, again, I loved some of those recent blockbusters, but I don't think they lead to good conversations. So maybe there's something there. And so I, I'm pleased with the conversation. Yeah. As am I. Um so yeah, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on, Greg. Yeah. Where can folks find you on the internet? I know you are you know, this is one of three podcasts you said you're recording this week, so I know you're out there. <laughs> I am out there. I uh, I have a few podcasts I regularly appear on, including um, I recap Mandalorian episodes currently on the Rebel Base Card feed, if people want to search that out. I also have a read-along podcast wheel of time podcast that i'm producing with my friend tyler um and we are currently in the middle of book two but it's evergreen so say if in good amazon corporate synergy closing <clears throat> my eyes because i have an independent bookstore manager upstairs who might be hearing me say that out loud um uh the you know wheel of time is due back sometime this year and if you've been into the show and are really curious about um what the books might hold you can go back and find our episodes we're called through the glass columns um and we're going to do a special set of episodes about the show uh whenever they announce the date we will space it out to do uh recaps of the show itself if the long tape listeners are not readers but more into uh the, into cinematic experiences so uh 
Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I am so excited that the excellent long take blog became the excellent long take review podcast. Um, And I hope this is one of many, many, many episodes to come because this is a lot of fun. All right. Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. And, and what, what it's turning out to be, it seems like is because I can't write about both series and movies at the same time. That's, that's, Mm. seems like it's too much. I, I can't commit to doing that, that having the podcast cover movies primarily, and then having my, my blog posts reviews, uh, covering the, the series, the streaming, streaming series for Marvel and Star Wars and all that. As I was going to say, like wheel of time, the Amazon show that's, that's in the wheelhouse of, of, uh, the long take readers there. Mm. Most of our readers, I, th- I think are, coming for the Marvel and Star Wars, the genre, the nerd, the nerd content. Um, and so that's, that fits right in with that. Have you um, seen the show? I had this question the other day. I, um, so I have seen one episode of the first season. Mm, okay. We'll have you on and, for one of our episodes then. We'll, yeah, if, there, if not for that one, we'll sneak you in. <laughs> I, and I, I, I'm going to have to say, so I haven't read the books, which is the problem. Um, yeah. and, and probably is why I wasn't committed to watching the whole show at the time. But, I there was I didn't have any problem. I was mm. intrigued by. It. I didn't have any problems with what I saw. There's kind of no good reason why I didn't keep watching. It, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. So um, so maybe maybe you'll inspire me to pick it back up. Uh, cool. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again, Greg, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.